Chapter 5. William of Normandy. Part 1. William's mother, Herleva, was a poor woman from a tanner's family in a small town in Normandy. As a tanner's girl, she had grown up helping her father gather cow skins, cut off the hooves and horns, and treat the skin with urine and dog poo, until after several weeks it could be sold as leather. But this hadn't stopped her from meeting wonderful and powerful men. Her son, William's father, was Robert I of Normandy, leader of the country. Her other sons, Odo and Robert, were the children of Herline of Conteville, a powerful lord near the River Seine. She was determined that her sons have a better and less smelly life than she had had. William was born in 1028, and although his parents were not married, he had all the luxuries of being heir to the Duke of Normandy. However, his comfortable life soon changed when, at the age of eight, his father Robert died on crusade and the young boy became the Duke of Normandy. Naturally, many powerful and vicious men tried to take the land from William, but he was wise and determined and managed to rule with some support from the King of France, Henry I. An Italian named Lamfranc became a good friend and guide for young William. Lamfranc was the Duke's tutor, but as a young man who had himself recently lost his parents, the two became as equals and their friendship lasted decades. These were important years for the young Duke as he navigated these uncertain decisions about who to trust and how to keep a country under his control. Part 2. As he grew older, Duke William became strong and powerful. He was a very tall man with red hair that he kept short, mainly to disguise how his hairline grew so far back it made his forehead look really big. As a Norman, he also didn't have a beard, but kept his face shaved, which exposed his strong jawline. He had a very distinctive voice, a low but loud sound from the back of his throat, which instantly made people listen to what he was saying. There was something about the young man. Maybe the difficulty of his childhood and having to slaughter enemies from such a young age that radiated gravitas. You would always know if William of Normandy was in the room. He was such a powerful presence. However, in 1047, he faced his most significant challenge. A collection of nobles led by Guy of Burgundy raised an army hoping to replace William with Guy as Duke of Normandy. It was a formidable challenge, and William responded at once, gathering his most loyal troops and preparing them for battle. But he knew in his heart he didn't have enough soldiers. And then, Henry I, King of France, came to William's aid, and he marched to the town ready for battle. The king had protected William throughout his childhood, and he wasn't about to stop now. As the duke and king rode their horses side by side into battle, they saw stretched in front of them Guy's army. It was many hundreds more men than their own and William knew that victory would depend on his skill and leadership. The battle lasted a whole day, and at one point the king himself was thrown from his horse, but managed to survive. William directed his men clearly, showing his experience in battles, and at one point even managed to trick Guy's men into thinking that they had won, before stripping them off their horses and slicing off their heads. As Guy and the others began to retreat, William and Henry waved the flag of victory, At just 19, he'd stamped his authority on his lands and won a clear victory alongside the magnificent Henry I of France. Their countries would be allies for years, and William's future seemed secure. Part 3. William laughed, his deep, loud laugh. It almost seemed too noisy to be permitted indoors. He and some rich knights were playing cards, and William was winning, ruthlessly taking more and more money from his men as they gambled and drank. One of the men, Luke, mentioned William's mother, and the table fell silent immediately. 
Well, said Luke, his face flushed from the beer. You've heard what they're saying about her, Dan and Alcon, that she was a poor woman, a scrappy thing, no more than a tanner's daughter. One of the other men kicked Luke hard onto the table, trying to make him to stop talking. This would only make Duke William angry. What was Luke thinking, passing on this story? They say you can even smell her in Paris, Luke roared gleefully, slamming his mug down on the table and burping loudly. William stood up so fast that the cards and coins fell to the floor. His face changed. The tipsy, winning gambler seemed to disappear as his eyes flashed with rage. The Duke called his horse, picked up the sharp sword by his side, and rode out into the night without another word. The villagers of Alicon never spoke of what happened that night, but the stories and rumours reached the ears of everybody in Normandy. The Duke, beside himself with anger, had demanded all the people come out of their houses and walk around the village. Then, as they stood in a line, William cut off their hands and feet of every man, woman and child. Even a small girl, Lucy, was not spared, and the child of only five years old died two years later. The blood then ran through the village, staining the dusty tracks, and no one spoke of William's mother ever again. William did not feel guilty for this violent act. He defended his mother's name, so what if people died for it? but the people grew to become familiar with the Duke's violent temper. Lamfranc, however, could always calm William down. It was with these men together that began a grand project of rebuilding all of the monasteries in Normandy. The Duke was a highly religious man who feared God and respected the Pope a great deal. It comforted him that Lamfranc, who used to be a monk himself, was keen to take part in this new idea for monasteries. They were to be built in stone, great temples of honour to God, there would be clear rules for the monks and nuns who lived there, so that they followed God's laws closely. William himself visited many of the new monasteries and the abbeys that belonged to them, and once there he prayed in every one that God would help him be a strong and powerful leader of the Norman people. Part 4 In 1051, William went on a journey to neighbouring Flanders. The territory was not too friendly with Normandy, but William felt it best to visit the count there, a man called Baldwin to ensure that the kingdoms didn't fall into open hostilities. He was welcomed adequately by Count Baldwin, who opened some of his finest wine for the Duke, who secretly thought that it tasted terrible compared to the grapes in Normandy. After a quick meal, in which Baldwin hinted that all of the food, plates, servants and drinks were better than anything you could get in Normandy, William made his exit, not wishing to be in this obnoxious man's presence any longer. As he climbed back onto his horse, he glimpsed a small but impressive young woman tending to one of the horses in the royal stables. She was dressed casually in a simple brown dress, covered in dust and hay from feeding the horses. Her hair was long and dark and fell almost to her waist in a complicated plait that seemed to flow like small waves into a knot at the bottom. When the woman noticed William looking at her, she glared back boldly. The Duke noted the royal French coat of arms on her cloth, and with a nod to this beautiful woman, shook the reins of the horse and galloped off into the night. For days, William couldn't think of anything else but this mysterious woman. Eventually, he asked some of his knights who she was, and they identified her as Baldwin's daughter, Matilda, descendant from the King of France himself. William had to have her as his wife, and immediately started writing letters to the young countess. She replied regularly, and soon the pair were exchanging letters almost weekly, sending their advisers across the countryside to deliver notes of affection. William sought the advice of Lamfranc, who agreed that the match would be most agreeable, not least because it would ensure that Flanders would not revolt against Normandy. 
William was thrilled and in 1050 sent the letter which asked for her hand in marriage. He pictured the grand wedding, the security of his kingdom, the beauty of her delicate face, and fell into a trance for days, thinking of nothing but his future. When the letter returned, however, William was thrown into another of his rages. She had declined, politely, saying that although she liked William, she was of royal blood, and far too noble to marry the bastard son of a tanner. Tears stung William's eyes as he sped towards Flanders, her letter still crumpled in his hand. When he arrived in the town of Bruges, he roared at the villagers to tell him where the Countess was to be found. They replied in fear and pointed him towards the cathedral. He reared his horse and dashed across the paved square to the door of the cathedral where Matilda stood, expecting his arrival and ready with her reply that she was too royal for him. William jumped off the horse and, further enraged by her boldness, pulled her to the ground by her hair. She screamed, real fear in her face, and all hope that she had had of deterring this young duke evaporated. He knelt beside her, one hand holding her hair, the other still clutching the letter. You will marry me, he whispered calmly in her ear, and you will be the great Matilda of Normandy. Then he stood up again and climbed back on his horse. Matilda didn't move but lay sprawled on the ground. Tears fell silently down her face, but her eyes were bright and wide as she looked up at William, seeing him in a whole new way. Although he was only twenty-two, a bastard, ruler of simple Normandy, something in the power that he had exuded made her feel that he might be right and might become more powerful. In that second she knew she would marry him. However, Pope Leo XI disagreed. He did not approve of the marriage, because he did not want to see Normandy and Flanders so united and potentially powerful. William fell into a deep state of unhappiness hearing the news, and lamented at great length to Lanfranc about the loss of Matilda. However, Lanfranc was an intelligent man, and wrote to Pope Leo explaining the situation. He described how William was a generous and godly leader, and described William's dedication to the new monasteries. After a few months, the Pope changed his mind. And with no more obstacles in his way, William made arrangements for the wedding, delighted at Lanfranc's loyalty. The pair were married in 1051 in Rouen, and the people of Normandy were delighted at the beauty and charm of the new Duchess. She was instantly popular, and felt content in her decision to marry William. Then, in the autumn, the Duke was invited to England, where Edward the Confessor declared that William, Duke of Normandy, would be his successor to the English throne. Matilda knew all along that this man would be more than just a Duke of Normandy.